This is the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number three. Today's special guest, Remus Rain. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Today's episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by the patrons. Remember that um, for the Game Dev Field Guide, all of the episodes are free, including the Patreon-sponsored ones. But I always take a second to recognize the patrons at the beginning of these bonus episodes because it's thanks to them that we can have a third episode a month. So if you'd like to become a patron and uh, further support the show as well as you get some other things like voting on episode topics for the proper episodes of the Game Dev Field Guide. There's an exclusive Discord role, and you'll know that the intro to all of the bonus episodes, I'm talking directly to you. I'll leave a link in the show notes in case that interests you. Today we have a keynote about puzzles from Remus Rain, but first, let's jump over to a new first segment called Juice Jam. So I mentioned this before in a podcast, uh, it might have been, I think we did a podcast exclusively about juice. If you don't know, juice is kind of the methods or tricks you do in order to make your game feel a little bit more satisfying. Classic example would be something like screen shake. But anyways, I mentioned before that because there are so many kinds of juice, it might be cool to have like a reoccurring segment where we talk about specific methods kind of a little bit more in depth and that can go really quick because there are often just tiny things and so today is going to be the first segment of juice jam and you'll have to let me know how you like it on twitter or discord i'll leave the links to how to get a hold of me in the show notes but yeah let's get into it today's topic for the juice jam is tweening Now, tweening is one of those words that gets used for a lot of different methods, and it can mean something different to each person, kind of depending on what their background is. Traditionally, tweening is a reference to the in-between frames in animation. Like, you would have your key frames that represent a walk cycle, for instance, um, and then you go back and do the tweening or draw the in-between frames. Tweening from a game juice perspective is a little bit different, and I've also heard it called easing, at least in the instance that we're going to use it. So if you see those frame, those phrases rather online, just know that from a game juice perspective, it's where you manipulate a value of something that is transitioning between two states to make it more satisfying. At least that's my custom definition that I came up with, but I think it'll fit, um, and I'll put it into perspective here in a second. So a practical definition, or a practical example of that definition, rather, is that let's say we have a game where a menu side panel pops up on screen. Now, we could just have that menu side panel appear out of thin air, or you could even have it maybe slide in. But from a visual satisfaction standpoint, it's not very juicy. Remember, the idea of juice is to make everything about your game really pop with satisfaction, and just do these little tricks and tweaks to make things a lot more visually satisfying in this case. And if you think about it, something just appearing out of thin air 
definitely not that satisfying. And even sliding like linearly, linearly, yeah. <laughs> even sliding linearly, which just means I I'm not saying that word right. What I mean by that word is sliding at the same speed into place. That's not really that satisfying either. And I think it's because of the robotic perfect nature of the movement. This robotic perfect movement doesn't feel very real or natural. If you think about it, when's the last time you saw an object really behave like that? Stuff in real life doesn't perfectly move. It either speeds up or slows down, it slightly overshoots its target, it wobbles or spins while moving. And this is where we can get into the idea of tweening or easing to make the menu side panel that pops up, we can make that a little bit more satisfying, a little bit more real and natural. So instead of it sliding at the same speed into place, maybe it starts moving with a really quick jolt and then slows down as it approaches the spot. Maybe you make the menu slightly overshoot its position and then it bounces back into place. Maybe on that bounce, it the panel that all the text sits on maybe wobbles a little bit or jiggles. All of these things are going to contribute to a more visually satisfying menu. And I know that seems like a really tiny thing, but the difference between a menu just appearing out of nowhere and a menu that jiggles into place and overshoots its target and moves at different speeds, it's just one of those little touches and attention to detail that really improves the overall look of your game. Now, tweening in most cases, or most examples I can think of off the top of my head, is going to have to do with moving objects, or at least the way that objects move. But you don't always have to tween the position. You could tween the rotation of an object. You could maybe tween its scale in different directions and get some squash and stretch going on. You could tween how colorful an object is, or how emissive it is, and so it... Instead of like a light that just turns on and off, maybe it warms up to like a soft glow. So yeah, I think maybe a helpful way to think about it is like, think of the things in your game that are either on or off. They're either in this place or that place. And then think about how you can tween between those two states to make the change more satisfying. Remember in our example we thought of the menu screen the side menu being either on the screen or off the screen and instead of just having it pop up or just slide into place we talked about maybe having it overshoot its spot or move at different speeds and kind of changes acceleration all of this is to say that you can give your game some extra juice by creatively using tweening for the parts of your game that have those either on or off states and yeah that's going to wrap up the first segment juice jam remember to reach out to me on twitter and on the discord and let me know what you thought of that i definitely think it's an interesting idea and it'd be really cool to explore some other methods of juice but with that out of the way let's jump into the second segment of the show today's first segment was a little bit short but that's because we have a very good key thought guest today. Today's guest is Remus Rain. Remus is a full-time indie developer and game dev content creator. He is currently working on two puzzle game projects, mostly in the roles of game design and programming. The games are called Hope, which is an atmospheric puzzle adventure where you play as a little red panda that carries the last light on Earth and Fluffy Tunes 
which is a musical puzzle game where you control the beat flow on a grid in order to conduct a wild animal orchestra. Both of these games will have a public demo in the coming weeks, and I can tell you that I've played a short demo of Hope when I was vetting Remus's puzzle design skills, and I thought Hope was a great moody and atmospheric game that really scratched that relaxing puzzle-solving itch that I think everyone seems to get from time to time. And so anyways, in that game Hope, I thought the puzzles were very cleverly designed, and lucky for us and the community, Remus is here to give a key thought on puzzle design. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Remus Rain. Hi everyone, my name is Remus Rain and I'm an indie game designer and game developer. Thank you so much to Zaccavelli for allowing me to share my key thought with the Game Dev Field Guide community. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and it's an honor for me to be here. My key thought is about how to design good puzzles for your games. This is not only relevant for the design of puzzle games specifically, but the design of many games can actually be improved if they're being viewed from the perspective of a puzzle. Alright, let's start with the definition. So a puzzle is a problem that the player needs to solve in order to accomplish a certain goal. And this is pretty generic, so let's break it down into pieces to find a more elaborate definition. So first of all, every puzzle has a goal. And usually the goal is communicated quite clearly to the player and finding the goal is not part of the challenge. So for example, in Portal, the goal is to get to the exit at the other side of the room. And by the way, Portal is a very famous puzzle game where you shoot two differently colored portals on walls. And if you walk through one portal, you come out on the other side. I will use Portal as an example here a lot because puzzle games are quite niche. And I want to make sure that as many people know the game that I'm referencing. So long story short, the challenge of a puzzle is usually about how you get to a goal. And for this, your puzzle needs to offer specific mechanics to the player. And these mechanics mechanics need to be elegant and limiting. So what does that mean? Elegant means that one mechanic has multiple different behaviors depending on the context that they are used in. And also it means that mechanics can sometimes be combined with other mechanics to generate different behaviors. And limiting means that the mechanics should not be overpowering the player to keep the number of possible options manageable. So an example for a limiting mechanic in Portal are walls which are either shootable or not shootable. So the player has a portal gun and he can shoot portals on the walls and only some walls can be shot to create portals on them. And this is very important because you would easily get to the other side of the room just by shooting a portal at the exit. And that obviously wouldn't be much of a challenge. An example for an elegant mechanic here is the combination of portals and gravity. So in one level, the player is able to shoot a portal on a higher part of a level. And when he teleports there, he or she falls down and builds speed. The player retains the speed and can shoot another portal to launch himself across the room. So the combination of gravity and portals creates different behaviors depending on how they are used together. And this is just the beginning. In portal, there are boxes, platforms, lasers, switches, and so on which create a 
big ecosystem of elegant mechanics because all of these mechanics can be combined in unique ways with other mechanics. And lastly, a puzzle is all about the information that the player may or may not have. So before being confronted with a puzzle, the player needs to have a certain understanding of the rules of the game. For our portal level, for example, the player needs to know how to move and jump around, how gravity works and obviously also how the portals work. What creates the puzzle is the bit of information that the player does not have. So the player already understands how gravity and the portals work in isolation, but he does not yet know how to combine them properly to generate the new behavior of launching himself across the room, which is a new information that he needs to unlock in that puzzle. And at this point, you can probably already see that it's really hard to come up with good puzzles because you're purposely not telling the player something about the game in the hope that he or she finds it out by himself or by herself. So so puzzles are always walking a thin line of either being too hard because you're not telling the player something or being too easy because the player already knows the solution to the puzzle. But as we will learn later, there are certain ways of nudging the player in the right direction and controlling the difficulty of the puzzles. So to summarize it up, the player needs to uncover some information, a hidden mechanic, and this is also what gives the puzzle this satisfying moment when you solve it. So to summarize it all up, we can give a full definition of a puzzle. A puzzle is a problem that the player must solve in order to accomplish a goal by applying known mechanics in new and unexpected ways. This is also what some people refer to as thinking outside of the box. So now that we have the definition of a puzzle done, I want to make the point why it's important for every game designer or game developer to understand how good puzzles work. Because usually we think of classic puzzle games like Portal, The Talos Principle, Braid, The Witness, Antichamber or Baba is You. However, I want to make the statement that puzzles or puzzle mechanics appear in other games too and in fact much more frequently than we might think. I will go so far and state that almost every well-designed mechanics-driven game has puzzles in them. They might just not be that apparent at first. So in order to illustrate that, let's take a look at an example on where we can find puzzle mechanics in Dark Souls. So I can make the bold claim that the combat of Dark Souls is very much like solving a puzzle. Let's say the player has a goal to defeat a very difficult enemy or a boss. And usually in Dark Souls bosses are pretty hard to defeat on their first attempt. What most players then try to do is they learn the attacking patterns of the boss and eventually they might even learn successful counter strategies to the boss's attacks. One boss might be pretty weak after you chop his tail off or the player will notice that when the boss is doing a certain animation there will be an explosion and he needs to run away. This alone is already some kind of puzzle as the player needs to apply the different mechanics that he has to learn through the game to find effective counter strategies. And in Dark Souls there are a lot of them. Positioning your character correctly, blocking, reposting, rolling, fast attacking, slow attacking and so on. But there's even another level to the combat in Dark Souls which may be even more related to puzzles. It is the concept that certain enemies are weak to specific types of weapons or elemental attacks. 
So for example, heavily armored enemies are weak to maces or blunt weapons, or these really annoying dogs that attack you in packs are super vulnerable if you attack them with a fire weapon. So in Dark Souls you might already know that you have different weapons and weapon types and also know about the different enemies, but knowing which enemy is weak to which weapon is like a puzzle to solve. And now you might ask yourself, okay, then why is Dark Souls not labeled as a puzzle game? And yes, it's mostly an action game or a combat game. So real or strict puzzle games are different in a way that they force you to use or learn a specific set of mechanics to reach your goal while games like Dark Souls just become a lot easier if you use the correct mechanics. And there are thousands of other examples of puzzle aspects in games. For example Super Mario players want to get through a level in under 30 seconds and need to find the right route and use the right set of jumping mechanics to go as fast as possible. Or a Starcraft 2 player or player of any strategy game wants to defeat his opponent by using the right composition of enemies to target his opponent's weaknesses. My point is that looking at your game from the perspective of a puzzle designer will help you improve the mechanics of your game, especially if you pay attention to what makes a good puzzle. Which brings me to my next point. So there are a couple of rules that you have to pay attention to in order to make the puzzles good and fair for your players. One of those rules is that you should only introduce one new idea or one new piece of information per puzzle. So a general rule of thumb is that you should teach your player one thing per puzzle. If there are too many concepts that are new to the player, it might be very challenging for the player to find the solution. And if there is no new mechanic introduced, there is actually no puzzle at all because we know that a puzzle requires a lack of information on the player's side. So actually when I design my puzzle levels I write down what specific trick or new kind of information I want the player to learn by solving one puzzle. And this also helps you structuring your puzzles as in the bigger picture too because if you write down for each puzzle that you have what is the previous knowledge that the player needs to solve the puzzle and what new information the player will learn in the puzzle you should get a graph where each each level is based on the knowledge of previous levels. And I think this is even how games like Baba Is You or Cosmic Express come up with their level progression system. So as you can see it just looks like one of these graphs that I just explained. My second rule for coming up with good puzzles is that they should not be about execution. So good puzzles are all about finding the hidden piece of information and uncovering the secret mechanic. But the puzzles should not be about executing the steps once you figure out the secret or the solution to a puzzle. And with that I'm not trying to say that games that focus on the execution aren't fun. Actually a lot of games today are about execution. So fighting games, Gita Hero music games, rhythm games, shooter games or even Sekiro which was also made by Hideataka Miyazaki the designer of Dark Souls. It's much more about execution than the original Dark Souls. So these games have their own appeal and their own fun. I'm just saying that it depends on what kind of experience you want to create for the player and it's also about what the player is expecting from you. If the challenge of your game is about uncovering a hidden piece of information by 
thinking outside of the box, you should reward the player for finding the information. And that's also what the player is expecting from you. If the player has already managed to uncover the super secret solution to your puzzle, but then still is not able to complete the puzzle because he cannot pass a certain reaction test that is asked from him, it will be really frustrating. And here I have a very good example for you that happened to me. I was once prototyping a game that was about solving time travel puzzles. You could record yourself performing some actions and then go back in time. And then you could watch a recording of yourself do the exact same actions as you just performed. And you could perform actions yourself during that time. And as a result, you could have really interesting complex behavior where you could team up with a past version of yourself. You could use your past self as a ladder to climb higher or the past version of yourself could throw yourself objects and so on. On paper these puzzles were insanely creative and innovative and I was absolutely thrilled to make a prototype but after I had developed all of the time traveling mechanic it turned out that it was just really hard to align everything perfectly. If you missed one second where your past self was performing a certain action then you had to do the whole recording and everything over again and that even if you already knew how to solve the puzzle on paper and that was just super frustrating. There's also another time traveling game it's called PT Winterbottom. There are also time traveling mechanics in the Talos principles or another time traveling game that is very similar to my prototype it's called Rewind and all of them suffer from the same potential frustrating moments. So when you're testing your game and you find out that it's really frustrating it might be because of that. Another indicator for good puzzles is to have a proper setup. So in order for the puzzle to take full effect we need to manipulate the mind of the player and I mean that in a good way. I mean that we need to make the player pay attention to the right mechanics needed to solve the problem. This also plays towards making the solution of a puzzle accessible as a row of logical thoughts rather than something that the player just randomly stumbles across. It can be compared to the concept of building tension and then having a relief in the end. We also heard that in the horror episode where the game builds tension and then relieves the tension again. Puzzle games also work very much like that. Building the tension means setting up the player for the puzzle and leaving him thinking how in the world do I solve this? And then the puzzle has a relief moment and a satisfying powerful moment where the player discovers the hidden mechanic needed to solve the puzzle. So here's an example on one of the puzzles that I created to set up the player. Let's say we have a puzzle with a cube and a switch that opens a door. So the player puts the cube on the switch and the door opens and he walks into the next room. The next room has another cube and a switch which opens a door that loops back to the first room. Once you open the second door you can take the cube from the first room with you to the second room. So you have successfully brought two cubes with you and the puzzle is solved. You go to the next puzzle and it has a very similar setup. So you have a first room, a cube, a switch and a door. In the second room there is another cube again but this time the door that takes you back to the first room is replaced with a solid wall and you cannot go back. And just like the level before the player needs to bring both cubes with him to finish the level. At first you might think what the hell how am I supposed to get the cube from the first room. And what we have done here is we have created a setup where the player is already thinking exactly 
exactly about the details that he needs to pay attention to. So the player now knows that he is specifically looking for a hidden mechanic that helps him get the cube from the first room into the second room. And the solution is to block the open door with the second cube and then take the first cube off the switch. The door is blocked and you can still walk into the second room. So if you created a setup like this, this already makes your player think in the right direction and actually helps him uncovering this hidden mechanic even though technically you did not yet teach him this mechanic and also it will make a very powerful moment once the player actually solves the puzzle. My last tip for making good puzzles is mixing up the intensity. It might seem quite intuitive to just keep bombarding the player with longer and harder and more challenging puzzles. But actually the creators of the Talos principles pointed out in a GDC talk that providing the player with some downtime between the challenges is absolutely crucial. They found out that it's just way too exhausting to keep thinking at 100% brain capacity for the whole time. So the creators of the Talos principles actually solved this by having a hub world that connects the different puzzles. So when the player completes one puzzle he goes back to the hub world and from there he can enter two other puzzles. The hub area also had plenty of stuff to explore about the world and the story of the game. This way the player could calm down in the hub and explore until they were ready for the next challenge. So the mentally exhausting puzzles can be alternated with some exploration, platforming or story elements. Alternatively, we can also vary the difficulty and the length of a puzzle if you have a more linear experience. So after a series of longer or more challenging puzzles, it's usually good practice to reward the player with some more easy and playful levels. This might also be the right time to introduce some new mechanics and make the first levels with the new mechanics really easy and teach the absolute basics. So for example in Portal, after mastering the more complex gravity-based puzzles, the player then gets the second half of his portal gun, which allows him to create both sides of a portal. The next few levels are very easy so the player can calm down and just explore and play around with his new ability. There are also a lot of other ways to alternate the difficulty of your levels which brings me to my next point which is how do I actually control the difficulty of a puzzle. So as we already learned puzzles always walk a very thin line of either being unfair to the players or way too easy. And balancing these puzzles is really hard and always requires a lot of playtesting but it's absolutely key to making a good puzzle game. The creators of the Talos principles also mentioned that they pumped out hundreds of levels within the first year of development but then spent two more years just to balance the levels and to pace the game until it was an enjoyable experience. So in 100% of the cases your puzzles are either too hard or too easy in the beginning. And I will now give you a number of different options to control the difficulty of your puzzles. So one way to control the difficulty of your puzzles is to have either less or more different possible solutions. Puzzles often get solved by crossing out the impossible solutions. So if you only have one obvious solution it might be quite easy for the player. If a puzzle can be solved in hundreds of different ways the player might not understand what he is working towards. But if you have so many solutions it's also a possibility that the player may stumble across a solution by accident. And that is something that you want to avoid at all costs because that means 
means that the player didn't actively learn what you're trying to teach him in that puzzle. A good rule of thumb is to really only have one viable solution for your puzzle if you're creating a strict puzzle game and if you're really trying to teach the player something with your puzzle. Another way to control the difficulty is to vary the number of different mechanics that are available in the puzzle. So if the player has a lot of different mechanics at his disposal then the puzzle will be more difficult because then he needs to combine multiple mechanics like in portal for example cubes, switches, doors, lasers. If all of that is in the same puzzle then it might be a lot more challenging to find out the correct combination of mechanics. Accordingly if you only have two mechanics for example a switch and a box then the solution is quite obvious. A third way to control the difficulty is to look at the number of steps required to solve a puzzle. So a puzzle gets harder when more steps are required to solve it. If the player does not execute one step correctly then he or she will not get to the goal. And usually it is not the most elegant way to make a puzzle harder as it can make it very tedious if the player messes up one step and has to go back or repeat the whole puzzle. And now we have a couple more very interesting ways of controlling the difficulty which is looking at knowledge that the player has. So as we already know a puzzle always builds on the player's existing understanding of the game. And accordingly we can create difficulty by requiring the player to remember and combine more and different kinds of information to come up with a solution. Another point to regulate the difficulty is to either make the previous knowledge more more or less available. So the availability of previous knowledge. The required information to solve a puzzle might not always be present in the player's head at the moment of solving the puzzle. This might be because a specific action was only required once or twice in previous levels. So of course the player is much more likely to remember actions that he or she uses all of the time. And this might also happen when the player learns some specific mechanics long ago and already forgot about it. In the puzzle game that I'm currently working on, the player can jump over gaps in the level. I introduced this mechanic in the tutorial, so when I actually then put a jumping level, the playtesters had already forgotten that they could jump in that level. So in order to solve this problem, I made sure that the player had to jump a couple of times over some gaps in order to reach that level in the first place. This is also called nudging the player in the right direction in game design, but in terms of puzzle design, we were just reminding the player of the information needed to solve a puzzle. To make it more difficult, instead of nudging the player in the right direction, we can also make puzzles harder by purposely misleading the player with wrong assumptions. There is a famous riddle where the goal is to guess the rule for a set of numerical sequences. So the rule is that the set must contain three numbers in ascending order. But the riddle master spreads wrong assumptions by stating an initial set of numbers 2, 4 and 6. So the people think that the rule is you always add 2 to these numbers. These numbers 2, 4 and 6 make it much harder to find the correct rule than if the riddle master would have said 2, 3, 6 or 1, 2, 10 for example. Because it actually didn't matter whether you always add 2 but the rule was that the numbers just needed to be in ascending order. Accordingly we can also create difficulty in a puzzle by making the wrong solution seem more obvious at first. So now that you know how to regulate the difficulty of your puzzle, I will 
finally give you my approach for coming up with interesting puzzle mechanics and levels. And even though I did some research on how puzzle game legends come up with their puzzles, this area is especially subjective. And there is no one size fits all approach for coming up with good puzzles. This highly depends on the type of game that you're making. Also making puzzles takes a lot of time and many iterations. And as we have learned, everything always depends. This is just a tool for you to get started if you don't know where to start with designing your own puzzles, for example. So the first step for coming up with your own puzzle mechanics is defining a core mechanic. So at first you choose a mechanic that you want to be at the core of all your puzzles. And at this point it's totally fine if you don't exactly know how your puzzles will look like. It's more important that this is something that you find interest in and also there's usually kind of an intuition on what could be a good mechanic for puzzles or not. And please remember here what we learned about elegant and limiting mechanics. So you want to choose a mechanic that has the potential to be elegant and limiting in some way. And this could be anything like for example the concept of simulating the flow of water to fill up vessels which is something that I just made up when I was writing the script. Or the concept of light and shadow and the light illuminating some objects in the dark which is one of the puzzle games that I'm working on. Or the core mechanic could also be about building a railway for a train that brings aliens to their homes. And these ideas can really be things that you come up with in seconds. I'm a strong believer that almost anything can be turned into an interesting puzzle if you combine it with the right set of complementary mechanics. So the second step once you found your core mechanic is to explore that mechanic. Now you want to try and think of how you can build on the mechanic that you picked and this can either be by expanding the mechanic with multiple usages. So for example we had the flow of water to fill up vessels. Maybe you can have different kinds of liquid that flow in different speeds and have different physical properties. Or you can have differently shaped vessels or pipes that fill up in different ways. Or you can also pair your core mechanic with secondary mechanics to generate complex and elegant systems. For our fluid simulation game this could be having different tools like one-way gates that only allow the fluid to flow one way through the pipes. I hope you get the idea. Remember that you are looking for elegant mechanics here that generate unexpected and new behavior when they are being combined. At this point you also want to think of a goal for your puzzle. Maybe the goal for our new game is to combine the vessels using tubes and other tools so that the liquid ends up filling one vessel at the bottom right maybe of the screen and not inside another vessel at the bottom left of the screen. So when you expanded your mechanics and thought of a goal for your game then it's time to prototype these ideas on paper. In my opinion it is very important that you start doing this on paper the goal of this paper prototype is just to make sure that you can actually make interesting levels with this. And yes, prototyping on paper is really hard and annoying because you always have to imagine how the things will work out in your head. So understanding how the fluid simulation will work on paper in your head may be much more difficult than if you actually tried it out in the engine. But I think that you have no alternative because if 
if you start to build every idea that you have in the engine and it will take you weeks and at this point you're not even sure if the mechanics are fun or not and then you will always lose much more time than if you do just a couple of days of really annoying paper prototyping which can save you a lot of time in the end. The fourth step is once you have a paper prototype and you made one or two interesting levels then it's actually time for creating a real prototype so go ahead and build it in your engine here i think it's very important that you focus on the mechanic and really just use placeholder art because at this point you can still not be sure whether the puzzles are going to be fun or not so i think here it's very important that you know what is the goal of your prototype over the course of developing a puzzle game, you might want to create many different prototypes for the game. And each one has a different goal. So the first prototypes might just be to prove whether the mechanics can be used to create interesting puzzles or not. And once your mechanics are a little bit more refined and you made maybe a lot of levels already, then you might want to find out which levels are more fun and interesting than others. And super late prototypes where you already know which levels are fun and that your mechanics are fun might just be there to find out the right sequence for your levels. So for each of these prototypes you have one specific goal that you're working towards and then you build them and the next step is to give them out to playtesters. So here the goal is to answer the question that you have set for your prototype. So get some people and watch them play and here it's very important that you just watch them play and watch their experience without telling them anything about how to solve the puzzle. And also one thing that I've learned is that puzzles can be quite niche and there might be some players that really don't like playing puzzle games and that's totally fine because they might not be your target audience. So here is also the goal to get a wide variety of different playtesters and get as many opinions as you can. And then step number six, the last step is iterating and starting the whole process over again. So maybe if you're very early in your concept phase, you might want to throw out a lot of mechanics and come up with new different kinds of rules or mechanics for your game. In later stages, as I said, where your mechanics are more refined, you want to know which levels are better or worse and then do more iterations to refine your game over time. And these iterations are very crucial to any puzzle game. When I was designing the puzzles for the game that I'm currently working on, I had to throw away the mechanics I made three times and had to start over again Jonathan Blow he said in an interview that he already had the idea for the witness in mind for several years but throughout the iteration of actually making the game the mechanics changed completely because only during playtesting he found out what was actually fun about the mechanics of his game so that was it those were all the steps for creating good puzzle games and I hope that Zaccavelli doesn't debuff me because my episode was super long but I hope that there were a lot of interesting points not only for creating puzzle games but actually for helping any game developer. So in this key thought we learned that a puzzle is a challenge that the player needs to solve by applying known mechanics in new and unexpected ways. There are strict
strict puzzle games, but actually we find the mechanics of puzzles in many different games. We also learned that good puzzles introduce one new idea per puzzle. Good puzzles are about uncovering information and not about the execution. Good puzzles give you a proper setup to nudge the player in the right direction without making you notice. And good puzzles also mix up the intensity by varying the challenge or letting the player play around with new mechanics. Iteration and balancing puzzles is crucial and you can balance puzzles by having more or less different kinds of solutions and different mechanics available to the player. You can balance them with the number of steps needed to solve the puzzle. You can also manipulate the information that the player has either by nudging him in the right direction or by purposely directing him away from the correct solution. You can design your own puzzles by first picking a mechanic and then expanding it with elegant systems. Then you make sure to prototype the puzzles on paper before jumping into development. And then don't forget to test and iterate them because no puzzle is good from the beginning. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at RemusRain or on YouTube where I'm also called RemusRain. There you can learn much more about designing games and developing games and follow my game development process. So thank you so much for listening and make sure to always think outside of the box. And there you have it. Wise words from Remus Rain on puzzle design in games. Um, I really respect the way that Remus thinks about puzzles and I actually learned a lot from just listening to this while editing it. And I think it's interesting that we we both kind of agree, and I know I've talked about this in the past, how you can think about some other games like Dark Souls, for instance, as almost being puzzle games, or at least they seem to have some puzzle elements within their combat. And so now you've learned the fundamentals of puzzle design. Maybe you can use some of that information to better inform your decisions about games that uh, maybe don't have puzzle mechanics per se, but could be seen as uh, maybe having undertones of puzzles. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I think Remus did a great job, and if you think he did a great job, I'm sure he would appreciate a follow on Twitter and a subscribe on his YouTube channel, as well as checking out his itch.io page. All of those things will be in the show notes. Please go do that. Go follow him, go subscribe, go play the games. If hope is up on his itch.io page i really encourage you to play that i thought it was great as for the game dev field guide community and myself you can find me on twitter and instagram at underscore zaccavelli underscore we have an open community discord where next month we'll be hosting a team game jam the team game jam is going to be a game jam where teams of people work for a month to complete a game And we have like an open signups and matchmaking thing going on. So if you want to be on a team, whether you're brand new to game dev or maybe you're more experienced and can lead a team even, um, go check that out. It'll be under the team game jam signups on the community discord. With that, I'm going to end the episode and I'll see you guys on the next installment of the game dev field guide.